0: The Bootsy Show, The Bootsy Show. We'll talk a little while and share a cup of joe. So tell all your friends, wherever you go, tune into the Charlie Boots Show. That's the Charlie Boots Show. And welcome back, folks. Episode 11. So I guess it's appropriate that we have 11-time Pro Bowler nine-time first-team All-Pro, an NFL 75th anniversary all-time team, the greatest lineman to play pro football. Hall of Fame, Anthony Munoz joins us today on episode 11 of the Charlie Boot Show. We are fresh off championship weekend 2018. And our Super Bowl 52 is set. We have the Philadelphia Eagles facing off against defending champions Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the evil empire of the New England Patriots. And the Jacksonville Jaguars who lost to the Patriots, I don't know how they're feeling today. The refs gave the Patriots some... 40 plus yard pass interference calls that were very questionable so they can't be feeling good but they're the people's champs this year and the minnesota vikings will not be the first team to host the super bowl in their hometown they were eliminated by the eagles but what a run for the jags and the vikes so while the eagles fans are climbing the greased up telephone poles and lighting the city on fire we were about to set the world on fire with Anthony Munoz. What a guy and a very special thank you to the Anthony Munoz Foundation for setting this up. And this episode is being powered by Jersey's Restaurant and Wing Bar in Pembroke Pines, Florida. The best wings in South Florida. The best wings I've ever had, period, actually. This episode actually came about because I was over at Jersey's and I was talking to my buddy, the owner over there, Mike Milmo, about football greats. And I said, some guys that just blew your mind when you saw them hit the league. And the first name he mentioned was Big Anthony Munoz. And that's how the seed was planted for this episode. So a big thank you to Mike Milmo and the good folks over at Jersey's Bar and Wings in Pembroke Pines, Florida. Be sure to stop in and uh, get some of the best flavor in South Florida. And speaking of flavor, folks, I'm hosting a new food show that you could check out on Facebook and YouTube called Charlie Boots' Flavor. This past week, we got back from New Jersey, we checked out a few places up there, and you can check the new episode out from Johnny's Italian Market in Westwood, New Jersey, now available on Facebook and YouTube. And for all the links to the social media, just head over to charliebootshow.com. Right there, you'll find all our past podcasts, plus new shows. I bet you today's guest could do some damage on a flavor episode, because he did some damage out there on the field, folks. So it's time to get into it, happy to have you here for episode 11, and let's get into it now with the big man, the legend, Hall of Fame, Anthony Munoz. I'm your host, Charlie Boots, you're tuned into the Charlie Boots Show, here's Anthony Munoz. So folks, in episode, I am honored to bring you the greatest lineman, we gotta say, in pro football history, Mr. Anthony Munoz. Anthony, how are you? Great. How are you doing today, Charlie? Good. Very excited to have you on. A very special thank you to the uh, to the Muno's Foundation for setting this interview up. Uh where where are you where are you today?
1: Well, I'm actually uh, sitting in my office right now. I've been uh, out in LA, got back yesterday. So I'm in the office and uh was sitting in here with my wife and my daughter and uh they just exited my office with four little ones, my four grandkids.
0: So uh oh, I could man. be able to hear you. So <laughs>
1: we're just kind of winding
0: down the week here and uh having some fun together so so we have a next generation old line being put together over there
1: well i don't know they might uh they might be a little too tall for old linemen my uh my daughter's at six feet tall and her husband's six eight so uh she's got two two boys that are eight and six and uh you know, I think they, I don't know, we might have a chance to have a couple post players. So we'll see.
0: Well, the hands, the hands run in the family, folks. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So if we take it back to when you were about the same age in Ontario, California, you know, what was a typical day like for you? And what sports uh, or or what activities were you passionate about?
1: Well, it's interesting because my my daughter's oldest is uh, eight. And then my son's oldest is nine. and, And that was about I was about a year or two into uh, baseball at that time. Baseball was my life. I mean, school and baseball. I mean, that was my, my childhood dream. I was gonna, I was gonna either play third base like Brooks Robinson in MLB, or I was gonna pitch like Juan Marichal in the major leagues, and uh, that was that was my dream. You know, at nine years old, I had the high leg kick uh, like Juan Marichal, playing third base, and uh, that's what I wanted to do. So during the school year, as long as I got my homework done, I could go out after school and. You know, it's pretty much whatever sport was in season. We played a lot of flag football, sandlot football, played a lot of baseball. And in the summertime, it was mainly baseball. After we got our chores done in the middle, in the morning, it was, let's go out and see how many games we can play. It wasn't just one or two. We would play as many as we could with the, the sunlight we had.
0: Oh my God. And then it's amazing because... You, you were you a were stud in both. I mean, you go, you go to USC, you win a national football championship, and you win a national championship as a, as a pitcher playing baseball. So were you a, were you pitching and, and playing third base uh, up until college?
1: Once I got to college, um, you know, I played third and pitch in high school all four years. Uh, and, of course, when I started getting recruited, uh, you know, they said, well, you can play baseball. And I didn't know how many schools were serious about that. But I knew USC had a track record of letting guys do that. And basically when USC started to recruit me, man, it was a done deal. I always wanted to go to USC. So in college, uh, of course I didn't play baseball until my second year in college, which would have been my freshman year, uh, in baseball because of injuries. But I played first base and DH'd until my, my arm got into shape and then I was in the bullpen. So I just played, I just pitched the one year that I played at SC. Uh, but it was great because I, you know, I pitched about 11 innings that year and, uh, got the experience going to Omaha and winning the World Series and, we were loaded. I mean, we had a great team. Um, you know, we beat Arizona State twice in the series. and They were pretty good. They had Rob Horner, who uh, that year, after the World Series, went to Atlanta and was rookie of the year. I think he hit 30 home runs. They had Hubie Brooks, who played with the Mets. They had um, Chris Bando, who was Sal Brando's younger wow. brother, catching. So both teams. I mean, our whole team got drafted after that World Series, and it was, you know, sophomores, juniors, and I don't even know if we had any seniors, but they all left. Uh, so, yeah, it was a blast. I had a great time. Of course, you know, football, I had a wonderful time. But it, that one year in baseball was really uh, fun, getting a chance to win the World Series on that team.
0: Did your football coach give you a hard time at all about that or no?
1: Not really. I mean, you know, they, they had promised. Uh, they The only rule was your freshman year, you have to go through spring football. And, uh, and I did that, and that was my second year. Although, because of injury, I had to practice a little bit during spring practice. Which was a little kind of crazy because you know, as a pitcher, and you're run blocking and you're pass blocking, you're using your hands and your arms. So, uh, right. But I'm thankful that I'm thankful that I was able to get through my spring practices going full speed and killing it, and then still be able to pitch. So, yeah, the coaches were great. I mean, that was the good thing about it. You know, they promised. They said, "Hey, here's what you can do." I mean, you come to USC, and they stuck to their guns, man. They, you know, they didn't waver. They didn't, you know, say, "Well, are you sure you want to play baseball?" It was like, nope, you're, you're in, man. You know, you, you can do it because we, we told you you could do it when we were recruiting you.
0: Wow. Now, what year was it for you or what year did it happen for you that NFL dreams and the thought of going to the league came into your head?
1: Well, you know, I think it was probably my junior year in college. You know, I, I played – I didn't start my freshman year at USC, but I played a lot. played probably half the game. Uh, you know, then I got hurt late in the season. My sophomore year, I started the entire season. Uh, but it wasn't probably until my junior year I started again. I got hurt again my junior year. A lot of people don't realize that was the second of third knee operations, but I played seven games that year. Uh, we won the national championship. Charles White won the Heisman. So I think that year finally clicked and said, you know what, maybe I can play on that next level, even though I'd already been starting a couple years and we were doing pretty well. Uh, And then, of course, you know, my senior year, I get hurt again. I missed the entire season. So it wasn't a matter matter of confidence. It was a matter of, okay, am I physically going to be able to do it? And I I missed the entire season, played the Rose Bowl, played the entire game after missing the whole season, rehab. And then, of course, the rest is history with the Bengals drafting me with the third pick in the entire draft after just playing one game my senior year.
0: Sheesh, so so you had people talking about trash about you saying, you know, uh, about the knee and you're on your third operation and then you, when you missed that senior year, did you think that the first round was realistic and were you starting to be concerned about the knee as well?
1: You know what, it was crazy because going into my senior year, the, you know,
0: all the projections
1: were high draft, high draft, but then after I got hurt and that was the third one in four years and it was the first game of the season. It was like, well, you know, if he does come back, and especially after that Rose Bowl game, even after, even though I played the entire game, it was like, well, maybe a free agent. You probably won't get drafted. Maybe he won't even get a chance. And my whole attitude was I just wanted – I knew I was physically fit because I tell you what, if the routine for three years was class, rehab, working out, and then some football, homework. I mean, that was, that's what I did for four years because of the three. But So that, that senior year, it was, I was like, guys thought I was a madman, because I'd go to class, I'd stop by and rehab and lift, and then go do homework, and you have to understand, I was married, I was got married my sophomore year, so it was my wife oh, and I, what? and, and it, it was like, we did not know what was going to happen, but my passion, my dedication was, even if I don't play, my body's going to be so strong, and that's what happened, my workouts were just over the top, and I came back and played in that Rose Bowl. So now it was like, well, if I don't get drafted, maybe somebody will just let me go to camp because I want I wanted to just see if I can compete on the NFL level because mentally I felt I could. Physically, I knew I was ready, even though I had three knee operations in four years. The weight room, I mean, I was like my legs were, you know, the strongest part of my body. So, you know, after that Rose Bowl in April, the draft goes around and the Bengals took the shot and drafted me with the third pick. But a lot of people had said, your dream's over, move on, you know, do something else. And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to still, I still have the passion and the desire to rehab,
0: to work out, get ready, and
1: maybe get a chance to play in the NFL.
0: Oh, man, oh man. And they sure made a great pick 13 seasons later. Where did the fire come from for you? Was it, was it that Did that come from the the house? Well, there's, there's certain
1: different areas. You know, when you're raised with a mom who was mom, dad, coach, worked two, three jobs to provide for five kids. I mean, we never had a car. She would work to walk to work at six in the morning, come home, fix dinner. When you see that type of work ethic and people around you, my relatives work in the fields there in Southern California. And then, you know, you go off to college and you get married and you got to, you know, now you have responsibility of not a family, but you have a wife. Uh, and then my sophomore year, you know, my spiritual journey started, my faith in Christ started. So that was a motivator. So it was almost like there's a lot, and I share this with kids, people I've met, I don't think I've met a successful person that hasn't gone through adversity and obstacles. So I tell them, it's not a matter if, but when you go through adversity, how are you going to come out the other end? So I can point to a lot of people that poured into my life and gave me that work ethic, that fire. Being there at SC, man, the way we were trained, you know, it was all about busting your tail and getting ready and dominating, and, and it came from pre- preparation. So, you know, from family, my mom, aunts and uncles, relatives, coaches, teachers, and my faith, you know, something was going to go right. Maybe not on the football field, but things were going to go good in my life, and it just happened that, you know, the, the legs came back. The strength was amazing. And uh the Bengals took the the chance. But uh there was a and you know, like I said, the guys would look at me man and I was jumping rope uh before I was even cleared to do any type of exercise. I had a little headset with a little cassette player. Uh I don't know if you're old enough old enough to remember Ain't No Stopping Us Now that song. I played oh, I wore boy. that song out. I wore that song out when I was working out. Ain't no stopping us now and uh you know, talked about, you know, people saying you couldn't do something and baby i I rewound that thing and, and you know it wasn't uh you didn't download things back then you didn't have m p three m p three players it was a little cassette recorder I used to hook on my belt when I was working
0: out, so uh, oh, I was. Uh, it was hey, fun, folks. Ain't no stopping us now. That's Please right, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you're singing it because I can't sing. <laughs> oh man, you know what's crazy. So the the first the first uh, show that I I started hosting was with the Oakland Raiders, the Raider Life, and um, Cliff Branch would always come on and say that the the locker room anthem. For their Super Bowl years was ain't no stopping us now. So, I mean that's a that's a song I hold very close to the heart.
1: That is well. It's funny you mention that because I didn't realize that. But the orthopedic surgeon that did all three of my knee operations in college was the orthopedic surgeon for the Oakland Raiders, Doctor Rosenfeld.
0: Wow. Because
1: John Robinson, who I played for at USC, was at FC, then he went to the Raiders, and then. He got the head coaching job my freshman year and because even though the Raiders were in Oakland, Rosenfeld's office was in Beverly Hills. So he started sending some of us to to Rosenfeld, and he did all three of my knee operations. And I met Cliff Branch when I was in college. Uh, It was funny. I was giving, you know, I usually don't say a whole lot, but uh, one night we were at a pizza place across from campus, and he claims I was saying, I'm going to be just like Art Shell. Art Shell's my guy. I want to be like Art Shell, you know, and it was <laughs> like, so, so the crazy thing about it, the Bengals had the third pick of the year, and I think the Raiders had the 16th pick, and Doc Rosenfeld shared with me that he went to Al Davis and said, Al, what do I say about Anthony's knees? Because he knew they had the 16th pick, and, and, you know, they, they were interested, and this is where I got tons of respect for Al Davis. He said, Doc, he said, "Tell them the truth. Tell them exactly." And he he had to. He had to tell them that my knees were great. And then, of course, instead of falling, they, you know, I I went the third pick. But uh, yeah, so I had some connections there, just like you with the uh, the Raiders,
0: <laughs> man. This so this morning before the interview, I put up a post and I say, uh, you know, the great Anthony Munoz coming on the show today. Any questions? And I got to say, the Raider fans just lit it up with with. Why wasn't he a Raider? He should have been a Raider. <laughs> because <been a Raider. laughs>
1: you got a lot of
0: Cali love, man.
1: In my 10th year with the Bengals, my roommate for 10 years in camp and on the road was a guard that went to the Raiders. Max Montoya went to the Raiders, and he, and he played his last five years with the Raiders, and I was joking with Max. I said, Max, you should have worked out a deal when we both went to the Raiders. I can't believe you left me. <laughs> so we used to kid about that. And that. But, you know, oh, that a player, scary. Uh, people always ask you, you know, what if you hadn't been a Bengals, what team would you have played with? And, of course, I always say you would have wanted, you know, you you really think about playing your NFL career in front of your family. And at that time, the Raiders were in the Coliseum. And, uh, of course, the Rams were at Anaheim. So it's like, you know, any team that you would have been able to play in front of your family, which the Raiders were the closest one to my family's, but uh, – yeah, it worked out, and uh, but that's funny
0: about the Raider fans. Yeah, that's uh, I know so cool. Another one, you know, last last episode, our guest was uh, you know the great Tom Flores, and you guys, you know, come from come from a, very close to each other, and like you said, with with family working the fields at that time and doing these things, come from the same background. You know, very cool. How do, you, do? You feel like Tom Flores is a guy that should be in the Hall of Fame? Uh,
1: you know, It's funny because he's been a topic of conversation for me. I mean, you know, people are always talking about the first to do this, the first to do that, you know, and I think it's great. I mean, I think it's awesome that Tony Dungy, the first African-American to win a Super Bowl. But you look at mm-hmm. a lot of years before that, the first Hispanic head coach to win a Super Bowl with a Hispanic mm-hmm. quarterback in Plunkett. And that wasn't mm-hmm. was his only Super Bowl. He was there as a player. So there's no question, I believe, that Tom Flores should be in the Hall of Fame and what he's done to really blaze the trail for, you know, guys like myself, being Latino, Hispanic, to play the game. I um, mean, he was doing it, uh, you know, as a player with the Chiefs. And then when I was playing, he was coaching uh, the Raiders and winning Super Bowl. So, yeah, definitely, I think uh, there's a guy that hopefully will will be in Canton. And uh, like you just mentioned about the Raider fans asking why I never was a Raider, Hopefully I can be a teammate of Tom Flores moving on after he gets into Canton.
0: Mm, I like the sound of that. I like the sound of that big man. <laughs> <laughs> so some of those great rivalries you guys had and some of those teams you went up against, who was the the fiercest team that you went up against that, that you said, All right, I gotta I gotta really bring the lunch pail today?
1: Well, you know what people you know, it cracks me up when people look at schedules and they say, well, this is a weak opponent. I'm saying, well, you put the pads on and you go out and play against that weak <laughs> opponent. That for me. You know, because there is no weak uh, sister on, in the NFL. But, you know, of course, when I was playing, we had the old AFC Central. I mean, we had the Steelers, who are the Steelers. I mean, even back then, my first four years, three, four years, they still had the Steel Curtain. They had everybody. You know, my rookie year, they just beat the Rams the previous year in Super Bowl to win their fourth. They were getting older, but they were still all there. We had the Cleveland Browns who, you know, with Brian Sype and Mack and Binder and Ozzie Newsome. And then on defense, you know, they had Clay Matthews. They had Minifield. We had Hanford-Dixon. I mean, they were loaded. Then you had the, the Houston Oilers. I mean, they, you know, beginning and then they bring Warren Moon in towards the end of my career. But defensively, man, I go in and Elvin Bethea is still there, Jesse Baker, Curly Colt, and then they start getting new guys like, you know, Andy. I mean, it's just Robert Brazil and, I mean, Greg Stimrich. So they were loaded. So we had four teams that would beat up on each other, but then there was other teams. I mean, the Raiders. I mean, your Raiders were always – defensively were always tough, you know, and offensively they were pretty good too. But looking at defenses, they were always tough, of course uh you know through my career the buffalo bills with bruce smith and mm. you know cornelius bennett and Daryl tally and i mean you know not to mention offensively with andre reed and thurman thomas and jim kelly and all the. You know, so there was uh you know in the afc you know those were the guys and then of course you know you got to still hit the nfc you know there's there was a few teams but within our you know conference there was some uh some pretty good defenses that we had to face and in our division, as I mentioned, the Oilers, the, the Browns, and the Steelers, man, we used to beat up on each other twice a year. Jeez.
0: Did you remember, like, the first practice that, where you're there in Cincinnati and, and coach says to you, all right, well, we're planning on, uh, you know, sending you out as eligible and having you catch some passes out there. <laughs> what, what, what were you thinking?
1: I was like, it's about time. No. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it happened. Uh, actually, the first one was Sam Weiss was the rookie head coach. And he is so creative, so it didn't surprise me. And then Boomer Esiason was our rookie quarterback. But, you know, I give a lot of credit to, to being able to line up at a tight end and, and report eligible because, you know, Monday was always the day to come in, you view the tape of the game, you lift weights, and you do some running. And the offensive lineman, we always stayed after everybody left, we always stayed after, and we called it our fat man football game. You know, so we used to split up, and it was usually the older guys against the younger linemen. And we would play like an hour and a half, two hours of just tag football right on our practice field. And that was right outside Sam Weish's, uh office. So I, I give that the Fat Man football game. And Max Montoya was our quarterback. And him and I used to, you know, just get after those young pups. And uh, we used to beat them. And uh, and I think that Sam probably saw that, uh, that you know, that uh, Max, uh, I don't know if he was tempted to put Max at quarterback, but he <laughs> had a pretty good quarterback. But. But uh, it was fun. And, uh, you know, the first one, the first time, uh, we had the score up in Cleveland. That was uh, Sam's rookie year. And Boomer was a rookie. And we had a first and goal at the one with seven seconds left and no timeouts to score and take it over overtime. And I was a primary receiver. And I'm thinking, this guy is nuts. And we score. We go overtime, kick a field goal, and we win it. So that was the first of four. But uh, it was a blast. I really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, man. Do you remember young Boomer coming in? Like, was uh, was was he a super standout for you? Oh my goodness.
1: So there's guys that come in as rookies and they got those big eyes and you kind of, you know, they, you don't want them to hyperventilate. You say, okay, relax. Boomer came in as a rookie and you would have thought he'd been starting for five years. You know, there's some guys that act like they've been around and you refer to them as 10 year. That's not a good term. But Boomer, Mm -hmm. as a rookie, had it. He just had it. You know, they say he, you have it. He was amazing. He owned it. He got the, the respect from the older linemen. I was in my fifth year. And we had some, a couple other guys that were a little older. He just, I mean, the guy was amazing. Took control, and you knew that it was his offense. And uh, we just had to settle him down because his arm was so big. Man, he he could overthrow some guys if he got a little too excited. But, uh, yeah, he was uh, he's a heck of a leader. I mean, I use him a lot when I talk to companies or I go out and talk about leadership. He's one of the guys that I use as an example of leaders and I've been exposed to and had a chance to play with for nine years
0: man i think that's a vice versa because uh i grew up on the east coast so you know boomers on the radio out there and you're a guy that he always uses as a uh, an example of leadership and dominance
1: well i appreciate that and we just i mean we had back in the day you know and you keep you i think people get tired of saying well back in the day," we had guys on both sides of the ball that i think would would grab guys by the face mask if they're you know walking out of line and, and i think that's what you need on teams and I mean, offensively we had it, uh, you know, defensively we had it. And, but yeah, Boom, man, he was, uh, from the beginning. And, uh, you know, cause I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, he would, I guess he was projected as a first rounder and we took him in the second. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys use that as motivation. And I'm thankful yeah. that he used it as motivation cause he came in and, uh, took over after, you know, I played with Kenny Anderson for five years and Kenny was amazing. One of the best. There's a guy that I think should be in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, and you know Boomer took over for Kenny Anderson so I was fortunate enough to play for two excellent quarterbacks but boomer man he is uh, like I said, from day one he came in and it, you knew that it was
0: his offense. There's something that was really cool when I was getting ready for this interview like there's a lot of foundations out there folks but but your foundation, Anthony, you have you have the prime pillars of you want to impact the youth mentally, physically, and spiritually. And you see, you could, you know, we hear all that in the, in the, this is the beginning of this interview. You hear all those aspects that came out of your life and you put back into the kids. When did that, when did, you said sophomore year, I think of college, your relationship with uh, Christ really bloomed. What sparked it?
1: Well, you know, you you realize, I come to realization, uh, you know, revelation that uh, at 6'6", 300 pounds, you can't make it through life alone. You need a greater power. And, uh, you know, my wife and I got married in April of that year in uh in October of seventy eight, which coming up this next year, next this next April we'll celebrate forty years of marriage and in October forty wow. years of uh following Jesus. So, you know, you realize, you know, you can't do things alone. You keep messing things up, you keep living selfishly. And I as a you know this big rough and tough football player who just got married, I realized I said, Lord, I can't do this alone. I need some help, man. I you know, I keep messing things up when I when I keep living selfishly and try to, you know, make it all about me and and it just started to click. I mean, and I, I don't know everything I should know now, but it's uh, it's been a great journey for 40 years. Um, you know, learning under certain people, and he just continues to to give me opportunities to grow. And uh, you know, and and I knew that I needed to give back just to be obedient with the you know the favor and the 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 you know the mercy and the grace that he continues to give us. And, and that's what excites me about. Taking these young people and say, yeah, we can use the game of football because it, it's given me some great opportunities and teach them a little bit about football, but teach them that, you know, you gotta, you gotta really excel as a total person. And that's what really success to me is all about. And it's been great to be able to do that where, you know, we can, through our foundation, we can have mentoring programs. We can, you know, help young men and women to further their education in college. We can do camps. You know, so you're doing the physical, you know, you're, you're working them out, you're teaching them football, you're, you know, you're doing a lot of team building activities that gets them out there and exposes them to really getting active. And then the spiritual part of it, having, having character talks, having spiritual talks about, you know, your faith and stuff. And, and that's what really motivates me. And so it's been, uh, you know, I tell people, uh, I didn't know a whole lot back then, don't know a whole lot more now, but I know that uh, God has a plan and uh, no man can uh, interrupt that plan if we just uh, hang close with him and continue to pray for guidance and direction and that's what uh that's what's made our relationship, my wife and I's relationship so exciting and so much fun uh because uh, you know we have each other and then we know we have Christ right in the middle of our
0: family. That's so cool, man. Congratulations you two. 40 years. That's big time, baby. Yeah.
1: 40 years, 15 kids, and uh, nine grandbabies. So, yeah, Ooh. it's a blast. We're in a great state. Yeah, my son, he's been married 15 years. He's got five. And then my daughter, who's just here, she's been married 11 years. In fact, uh, tomorrow, her, uh, tomorrow is her 11th anniversary, and they have four. So we get the we get the pleasure of taking her for tomorrow and keeping them overnight and enjoying them so as her and her husband get out and go celebrate their anniversary date night. So
0: yeah, it's it's oh, a blast. Okay. We're in a great
1: stage of life and not only with family but then with the foundation and then, then doing all the programs with the Hall of Fame and you know, and stuff like that. So it's uh things are you know, for an old guy I'm I'm having fun.
0: Hey you, you got any any of the grandbabies busting out pull ups on that pinky of yours? They're not doing pull-ups, but they
1: like pulling it to the side and flipping it back in. And uh, they got to watch it because it doesn't hurt. But if you take it too far down, there's a little pain to it. So they have, they enjoy kind of you know how far down does that go, Poppy? <laughs> I'm like it's too far right now. So <laughs> where, you know, they kind of look at it and say, Poppy, how did you do that in football? <laughs> I said, Yeah, you got those big guys trying to get your quarterback and your Running back, you got to keep them away and use your hands. So it kind of got caught now and then. <laughs>
0: um, and it's a great wet willy weapon now.
1: Oh, great conversation piece <laughs> when you are talking to the young kids, and
0: especially when Q,
1: when the speech ends and the Q and A stops. Man, so the hands are up
0: right away. And first question: What happened
1: to your pinky?
0: It's <laughs> uh, funny. So Anthony, you you're you know the word character is goes goes along with your journey so well. If you put on a scout hat now or a coach hat or even a teammate hat, how do you judge a person's character when it comes to competitive sports? How do you judge a guy's character quickly? What do you look for?
1: Well, yeah, I think, I think you have to do some pretty good research. Uh, you know, one of the things that impressed me when John, uh, Coach Jim Trussell was at Ohio State, he came into town here Cincinnati recruiting a young man. And most coaches go in and go right to the head coach, go right to the kid. His first hour at the kids' high school was spent going from teacher to teacher. Each class that he had, he went in and talked to the teacher of this young man. And I think those are the people that you have to, to you know, you know, because you can look at a guy, he's going to be big and strong, he runs as fast, he lifts as much, he put on the tape. But I think you have to go to the people that really know them the best and find out what they're really like and, uh, you know, and really question them, check out their work ethic. You know, because kids can be very talented, but if they're not willing to lay it on the line, you know, make it a, a total effort, work hard, you know, uh, how are their decisions been made? And we make this, you know, mistakes now and then. But, uh, it's those people that are around you every day that really know you that, uh, I think you need to look at and, uh, you know, and things. It's interesting you mention that because I, I just flew back from LA on the way out there. For the first time, I watched Draft Day, you know, uh, the movie with Kevin Tosner. And the big yeah. quarterback, the Bo Calloway, was the big number one guy, and <laughs> he had several several incidents where you know he lied. You know, he had a birthday party. None of his teammates came to you know his birthday party. You know, they they gave five quarterbacks a playbook, and they put a hundred dollar bill on the end. So if you read the whole book, you got to the final page. You had a hundred. He got. He never got that hundred dollar bill because he didn't read it. But he said, "Yeah, I read it. I read the entire playbook, but I just didn't pull the money out." I'm thinking, nah, you know. So those are the type of things I think you have to look at. What is their work ethic like, you know? when you see them, and what are they? How far are they willing to push themselves? Uh, And then you go to me. Then it's like, okay, let's let's see how quickly. Because guys with character can pick up technique and really work themselves into the level they need to be. I think there's a lot more to it than I think a lot of
0: people uh, realize and understand. And like when you talk technique, you got guys that come, you know, certain great linemen said, you know, they they looked at karate, certain things like that with the handwork or boxing or or math to look at angles. Did you have any like outside factors in your mind that that really uh, helped shape your game?
1: Yeah, I had I tell people which is rare. 4 years of college, 13 in the pros. I had two line coaches. One in college and 13 years in the pros. So the consistency in both coaches were so detailed technique oriented. That's the way I was taught. Technique, technique. My 11th year, week 14, we were working on our stance. I mean, and then you go through all the footwork. So that was a key. In the off season, I ran like crazy. I lifted and just about every day, if not every day, almost every day, I worked on technique. Uh And then you mentioned the the martial arts. My last, and I wish I would have done it a lot more, but my last three or four years, I worked with a Okinawan karate hand and arm combat guy. And I worked three, four days a week with the guy just to, you know, I let him, I would tell him all what the defensive linemen were doing. And we did arm and hand. This guy was like five eleven, two twenty, 220, and he could, hurt me and i'd say john i just need you to demonstrate don't hurt me <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was 300 times, he was like 215 so i did that and you know because god had blessed me with pretty good hands but i wanted to even take him further and so that helped me and it helped my focus and it i would i would go to his small school and spar with like three or four of their black belts again i would say don't hit me don't hurt me i just want to work hand speed because i knew that was the key and uh and i'm sure there was a couple of times they that they wanted to hit this football player and that was working out with them but they were good but yeah you know, those types of things and you just so to me it was it was my job it was my profession i wasn't just going to be ready for the season i was going to be ready year round so conditioning weight training I might take a day off after my last game and then get going again, and uh, and that was just my whole mindset. Uh, so yeah, there was a you know you just watching tape, watching defense. And that was part of it. The classroom, you know, you can't just you know you just can't be great in the physical part of it. You got to really work on the, the 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 strategy, the mental part of the game because that's big too.
0: And you know now in in twenty seventeen twenty eighteen we hear a lot of the vets uh, and you know guys and NFL alumni saying that all season these guys are doing like you said the uh the workouts with the trainers not contact workouts but just staying in shape and and a lot of them point to the rise in injuries from the teams not hitting in practice and not having the extended training camps Do you have any thoughts on that i still think i mean
1: yeah i think you have to i mean i think your body has to, to not that you have to pound it in the ground but i think that hitting that you go through in camp, I think that gets you ready. And uh so even with the bigger and faster and stronger guys, I think that's still the key. And, you know, it's hard to say because, you know, you can't look at all the stats and pinpoint stuff. And But, you know, I have a tendency to believe the same way that I think the lack of – I mean, they go through all the – camp, they can't hit. I mean, it's just kind of like, right. you know, full speed until you get to each other or thump or – you know, and, you know, we had, um, not that you have to go like we did, four weeks and two days, full pads, you know, full practice every day. But I think you still right. have to get your body somewhat ready for the, you know, you can't just go from, you because know, you're not playing a whole lot, even in the preseason, and you're not going, and then all of a sudden the regular season starts, and, I mean, now you've got to turn it from zero to, you know, 150 and go full speed ahead, and you haven't really had that opportunity to do that.
0: Right and yet, they have now about a one week of training camp before you know first preseason game
1: right exactly with no hitting a week with no, no hitting. hitting that's that's got to be
0: tough man so what what did it feel like the the day that you get the phone call that you've been inducted into the pro football hall of fame uh amazing
1: i still pinch myself and i'm this next year will be my 20th year in it's just it's one of those things that i never thought about um you know, while you're playing, you hear about you know the Gale Sayers and the Deacon Jones and the Bart Stars, and that's kind of their thing. And then, you know, I'm just thrilled to be playing the league. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it was fun for me because it actually went like full cycle. Uh, you know, I started my career in California, came to Cincinnati, then it was the Super Bowl in San Diego when I got word. Uh, I was actually at the hotel uh, where they where the voters came out and uh, made the announcement, so I was able to, to meet the press right there, uh, and it, it is, it's still one of those things that I pinch myself, it's uh, very humbling, uh, but, you know, to be around these guys is just phenomenal, I mean, it's so thrilling, every every August, when uh, my wife and I drive up to Canton for the Hall of Fame uh, induction weekend, I'm like a kid, you know, there's a lot of guys that I look forward to, to seeing when we get up there, and uh, so it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's a, it's amazing that uh, you know that you have that HOF after after my name, and it's still um, still kind of like a, living a, a an amazing dream. Oh
0: man! And the NFL seventy fifth anniversary all time team, eleven time Pro Bowl. You know, it was awesome. I was up at Canton this year, and folks, when you walk in. To the uh, to the first room at the Hall of Fame, they have these beautiful is uh paintings of the guys. There's like ten guys, and they're standing there and walking in, just looking like superheroes, man. And you're there, right. and that is so cool. You remember when you saw that for the first time? Yeah,
1: it's. You know, I go up there quite a bit now because we have a lot of programs, and uh, it is amazing. I've gotten, keep fans from Cincinnati that and friends that have been up there, and they'll take a picture of it and they'll send it to me and. It was, uh, I got a great story. I was up there, uh, one of the last times I was up there and I walked in the front door and there's about 10 people that started the tour and they were right there and the, the, the tour guide was giving them, you know, each guy that was on that, that mural there and, and he turns back and he's like, well, this guy right here is like standing right behind you there. <laughs> and I was, I was standing behind the people and, and they're like, looked at the mural, looked at me and so they're like, hey, come over, take a picture. So that was pretty cool, you know, cause, oh. uh, it was like, it's like we we coordinated it, but it really wasn't. Quite, it was just the, the right timing that I walked in, and so he said, "Yeah, this guy here, Munoz, he's right behind you. He's right there." <laughs> it's funny, so yeah, it's uh, you know those guys that are in that mural. It's just amazing to be part of that uh, that line there as you walk into the hall. Jeez,
0: that's a real life superhero, folks. If, hey, if you had if you had to be a superhero, which one would you pick? Oh my goodness, uh, I don't know.
1: It. it um, uh, it'd be kind of nice to fly you know i've skydived uh, i've tended to jump with the golden knights uh, so i think maybe superman being able just to kind of you know put my hands forward with that cape and just kind of you know fly to wherever i need to go help someone yeah just kind of like a bird flying through the sky land and then help somebody so it'd probably be batman or
0: superman i'm sorry I like that, man. I like that. Throw a stash on Superman, and it—and it, and honestly, it looks like it. In so. my
1: younger days, because I wouldn't want to put tights on now in a cage, so I... <laughs> And even in my younger days, it would have had to be some big tights. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we go with the Clark uh,
0: Kent suit. <laughs>
1: I can handle the suit and the glasses uh, like Clark Kent, but I don't know about the tights.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. If you you know kids listening to the show now, uh, whether they're in high school or whether they're at grammar school level, uh, what is the number one piece of advice you, you like to leave the youth with?
1: I, I guess just um, you know working extremely hard in all areas, your classroom, taking care of that, your relationships, and just you know making decisions that are going to make you a, an excellent person. You know, it's like when you when you're faced with decisions. Make the right ones. I mean, you know right and wrong, and just uh, make decisions that are going to help you out in life. But you know, it's the the, the relationships that really mean a whole lot, uh, and just focus on the, on yourself as a total person.
0: You that reflects in in your children too. Extremely. Uh beautiful family and uh and what's your relationship with tennessee both of your kids stud athletes that go on to you know have prowess down tennessee well first of all my daughter who actually committed she's younger but committed there before my son
1: at the age of 10 she started playing aau basketball and just became a a, a tennessee lady ball fan and uh so we started taking her to camp down there every year and uh i think it was right after her freshman year maybe sophomore year, we're um, Took her to camp there, and we're getting ready to leave. And Pat Summit calls her in her office and says, um, I know we can't do anything officially, and I know you still have two years of high school left, but we would love for you to be a lady ball. With The offer's there. And uh, so we made that right home. And when we got home after discussion, she called her back and they committed to her. And then, of course, Michael's a year older. So that was when Michelle was a sophomore, so Michael was a junior. The whole recruiting process started. He had five schools he was looking at. He was a little more, you know, uh, looking at each school. And one of the first things I'll never forget, he said, he goes, now don't think just because Michelle's going to Tennessee that I'll be going there. So he looked at, uh, he, yeah, he, he wanted to make sure that he knew that we knew he was going to make his own decision. So he looked at Michigan, Ohio State, Texas, Florida State and Tennessee and it all boil down and came down to, he felt Tennessee was the best place for him. And uh, it worked out extremely well for him. And we had them there for one year. Uh, Michelle transferred after her freshman year and finished up at Ohio State. But uh, it was cool having them for one year. We just, you know, go down there. We started that first year in August with Michael's football season and kept going down there until March because uh, Michelle went to the Final Four uh, her freshman year down there. Uh, but it made it a little easier when she transferred to Ohio State because it was easier to go to more of her games. You know, the teams are more up here in this area. Uh, and it just it worked out better for her. So... Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting that they ended up both at the same place for at least one year.
0: What a cool journey! Those round numbers got a, got a special ring for you. Drafted in 1980, this year you're coming in. 40 years of marriage, 20 years in the hall. It's gonna be a special year for you, man.
1: It is, it is. And uh, I didn't mention the other one. 40 years of marriage. I'm also got the uh, another. 60 years old coming up this year so uh, oh yeah. I know <laughs> another big 6-0 so uh, oh man so my yeah that's awesome it's a great stage and I'm very thankful and things are going well and uh a chance to do a lot of fun stuff. Man,
0: Well, thank you for all you continue to do for the great game of football with the Anthony Munoz Foundation and, and just you as a man, to, you know, continuing to be a pillar and, and inspiration to all.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Charlie, and I appreciate you having me on. Now, This has been great just chatting about the past and reminiscing and uh, hopefully a lot of young people here, and uh, they can become those individuals that as they grow that, uh, you know, they uh, they find it in their hearts to to give back and, and, and do the same thing. So appreciate this time.
0: Absolutely, and uh, you know Derek Carr's had some trouble getting protected this year. So if you get a phone call from the Raiders, don't be don't be scared. To throw <laughs> that jersey on and head back out there.
1: <laughs> that's that's my guy, Jack Del Rio. I recruited him at SC. So uh, really, we'll see. I, uh, yeah, we uh, you know he was up uh, in the in the Bay Area. We we hired a coach, Artie Gigantino from Cal. And one of Vardy's first thing he said, he goes, hey, one of our first assignments, we got to get Jack Del Rio because I almost had him going to Cal. So yeah, Jack is one of my FC guys. I know Jack really well. So uh, I was thrilled when he got the Raider job. But I think it's oh. a little past, uh, past time. Though. I might, uh, I might be able to go and, uh, maybe help with a little
0: technique. But, uh, I don't know. It might be a little late to, to get padded up. Man, however we could get silver and black on you, I'm down. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much, and, uh, and take care, Ant. Okay, you have a great day. Big thank you to Anthony Munoz, the Anthony Munoz Foundation, and Jersey's Restaurant and Wing Bar in Pembroke Pines, Florida, for today's episode. Don't forget, folks, for past episodes with some of your favorite athletes and one of the best food shows cooking, head on over to charliebootshow.com. We have everything for you there. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, wherever you listen to it from, so you don't miss a beat. We have some really big episodes coming up for you, including Dwight Stevenson, Hall of Fame Dolphin, and MLB icon Johnny Bench, some more Ohio royalty for you. Big things coming on charliebootshow.com for you. Stay tuned, and I'll be seeing you over there. Be sure to lock in with us on social media. You can do that right at the website, charliebootshow.com. You'll see the links to our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And this week, we'll be bringing you Pro Bowl coverage from Orlando, Florida. So be sure to join us for all the fun that's going to kick off up there in Mickey Mouse World. And hopefully you were logged in last week when we covered a Diamond Resorts Invitational, first PGA event the show covered. Everything's cooking there. I hope your 2018 has started with a bang. I know our sure has. Good health and happiness for you and all your loved ones this coming year. And I'll see you next week right here on charliebootshow.com. See you later, guys.
1: That's the Charlie Boot Show.